What is up, everyone? Welcome to Cheers to Beers. I'm your host, Jess, and today we are doing an episode all about Brett. Um, Brett, not as in any male person, um, but Brett as in Brettanomyces. Um, so we're about to get into that, but first, um, I'm joined by my friend and industry homie, Ken Sorensen, who is the head brewer at Standard Brewing here in Seattle. So he was the one who chose a couple Brett beers for us to kind of get into. Ken not only is a professional brewer, he's also a home brewer that just does 100% wild beer at his house, which is kind of insane in terms of control um, for like a home operation. We get into it. Um, but he's also a bread baker. He makes, I, I mean, I personally haven't tasted any of the bread, but I follow it on Instagram and it looks delicious. So um, can't wait till the day where I get a loaf. Yeah. So the dude is all about fermentation and uh, bread, grain based products, I guess. <laughs> so the two of us, we met up at Full Throttle Bottles in Georgetown to talk about Brett beers. And um, again, Brett is short for Brettanomyces, which is the most common wild yeast used when uh, brewing wild and farmhousey beers. So if you're not familiar with it um, or you've kind of heard it, but you're not really sure what it is, this is something that you're probably going to see most often if you're drinking a quote unquote wild beer and you're at a tap room, you see it on the list. If you ever see anything that says Brett, it is not the name of any one person, but um short for this yeast type. So um, we're drinking two beers in this episode and we start off with standard brewing old money, which is 100% bread fermented pale ale, uh, which was fermented in oak and aged for two months. And then we go to the OG of the OG with Orval, a Trappist ale brewed with Brett. Man, you guys, like, When's the last time y'all had Orval? Because you need to go get it immediately. It is so fucking good. Like, I forget how it's literally one of the best beers in the world. But if you're in the Seattle area, um, please go try to find some old money. And uh, if you can, and if not, at least go to the brewery in the Central District. Um, if they don't have it available there, they have a lot of other great beer. Honestly, I think that tap room might be one of my favorites in the city. Like, it is so cozy. It's so beautiful. Um, they have food. They have a full bar. Like, that place is the spot. But if you can't get your hands on any of, like, a wild beer by standard, definitely go buy some Orval. In fact, you should just need to buy Orval no matter what. And it's surprisingly easy to acquire and it's not that expensive psa people some of the best beer in the world is affordable and you don't even have to wait in fucking hours long lines for some fucking four pack bullshit like do yourself a favor and drink along with us during this episode <clears throat> quick plug um if y'all's on the instagram follow me at just just beer also follow seattle beer school because it's a dope beer education company I run with my girl Shauna, and you should check it out. Um, we have quite a few things coming up uh, in Seattle, in the Seattle area, in the next couple months. So give us a follow. All right, open that Orval, and if you don't have it, I swear to God, you better go run your ass down to a bottle shop. Like literally, Bevmo carries it. Like fucking wine in all, whatever those like big chains are. Like they have Orval. Go fucking get it. It costs like six dollars. 
And let's get into it. On this episode, we talk about a new hop varietal, Northgate Goldings, the homogenization of American beer, more from the wine versus beer debate. And guys, I'm pretty sure Kendo is about to take down the system. And honestly, I'm here for it. Grab an Orval and join us. Cheers. Yeah, there's just like so much going on. Right. And it's like, especially when you're working with wild yeast and you're like... So we know we're going for funky flavors, but then it's kind of like, how do you know when it's bad funk and good funk? Yeah, totally. It's like, oh, this is funky, but I don't know. Do I want to drink it? Right, exactly. Or does anybody want to drink it? Maybe yeah. I want to drink it, but do you want to drink Right. Or even just for me personally, like studying some of the um, like off flavors and whatnot, um, it being like, oh, so like barnyard funk is an off flavor, but I'm like, is it an off flavor or... Is it just not appropriate in some styles, you know? Yeah, right. Like, is it, it's an off flavor in this Pilsner. Yeah. Dude, just, I just wish this Pilsner was better. I know, me too. It's way, like, too hopped. And I'm okay with, like, a dry hopped Pilsner, but... I guess Single Hill there in Yakima, maybe we should give them, like, a free pass for overhopping something because it's Yakima. <laughs> but that's the thing. They should be... They should know better at yeah, this like point. Yeah, like, restraint. <laughs> Learn some restraint. Yeah. I was uh, judging a... Uh, IPA competition over the weekend and was it the hop idol it wasn't hop idol uh no it was um out it was up in Everett and um so it was an IPA competition and one of my beers was for sure like a hopped pilsner and I was like bro you can't just hop something and then put it into a IPA competition yeah, right. that's wild yeah. like was it an IPL that's or exactly yeah. how yeah. it was labeled yeah. because we went we looked at the number and then went to look at it and I was like what the fuck man yeah. like you think we're not going to taste the pilsner malt I- <laughs> like, IPLs are not IPAs yeah like, right they're just not and that's the biggest thing I've noticed about competitions now that I've been judging a little bit more and like a part of BJCP is people just miscategorizing their beer oh, and I'm yeah. like this constantly this beer is tastes good but it's not to style so I can't like I can't give you like a higher score yeah right it's like that. 36 points but it's not a fucking IPA or right whatever. like it's just yeah. not so sorry yeah. right sorry pal yeah um which I guess is kind of a segue into talking about like wild fermentation and how that kind of is its own realm I mean there's definitely the classification of like American wild and uh, you know lambic but it's kind of a, the Wild West in terms of brewing, I think. It really is, like especially here in the United States. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like people are just now, I mean, shoot, what? when DeGarde started, they were the fourth brewery in the country that had a cool ship, and now really? I can think of four breweries in the like uh, 10-mile radius of us that have a cool ship. Oh, yeah. You know, it's insane. I didn't know that they were like that much of a leader in the... Oh, yeah, they were like right, right up. I was like... Russian River, Allagash, yeah. Lost Abbey, and then it was Degard. Damn. And then soon afterwards, Jester King got theirs yeah. going, and, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control, and now everybody and their mother has a cool ship, you know? Which, yeah, and again, is leading to... <laughs> and, like, I understand, like, wanting to expand, and I'm all for it. Like, I spontaneous fermentation is, like, very interesting to me, and some of my favorite beers are can be, like, classified as a wild ale. But it's just kind of, like... If you're going to go all in, like, make sure you're actually going all the way in. Don't just grab one of, like, your, like, normal brewers who's used to working on whatever system, a a regular brew house, and then be like, all right, 
let's now, see. Yeah. Now make this. Right. Yeah. And it is, part of that is like, let's see what happens. But you have to have some baseline knowledge of what the hell is actually going on. Totally. I do like a little, like a semblance of research. Right. You know, like, yes. Just a semblance of research. That's right. all it takes. Because, you know, like, the mashing is completely different. Yeah. The grain profile. You're like, you want grain tannins. You want mm-hmm. to do all these crazy things that right. normally you wouldn't do in an IPA or whatever. Right. And, and then honestly, I've had some of these like cool shit beers and they're not that, it's not even like that they're not good beers. It's just like not what I'm expecting from this process. It just kind of comes out like meh. I'm like, damn, why did you go through that whole process of like fucking obtaining a cool ship for you to not like go all the way in? Like, just you got to be dedicated to it it's not just like a phase it's not like brute ipas you know like you (laughs) have to have like a whole area dedicated to that it's like a real investment you know exactly yeah yeah Yeah. and then people are like oh i mean we made a spontaneous beer three months ago here you want to try it like no i don't want to try your three-month-old spontaneous beer that that sounds awful like what are you you thinking right now yeah hell no um so let's go ahead and open our first beer that we're going to do um, old money Word. from Standard Brewing. You want to tell us what this is? Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's basically uh, I don't know. We were just talking about how like you can't just take an IPA recipe and ferment it wildly, but that's basically what we did. Cool. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like uh, think like a 100% mosaic hopped and dry hopped all Brett fermentation cool. uh, in oak. And then, so we, so we do a Brett fermentation in oak with a, like, mosaic, basically like a mosaic pale ale recipe. Yeah. And then it comes out of oak and gets dry hopped again with mosaic cryo. And then it conditions on that for, you know, like two to three weeks in stainless steel and then uh, packaged. Nice. And so this is, the, this is the end result of 100% Brett fermentation. And... Um, I, I don't want to ask too many questions before we open it, but it, that's like that's kind of crazy. A hundred percent bread. Like how how are you making sure that the bread has like enough work ethic <laughs> to make yeah. sure that like all the fermentation actually happens? It's you know, tricky. Yeah, it's really tricky. And this is all bread lambicus too, which like is a really scary bread to work with because mm. when you pitch the wort or wait, sorry, when you when you when you pitch the the yeast into the wort, it takes four days for it to start act, like fermenting, Jesus. and so. Your mind starts racing like, oh, no, yes. like, it's not going to work. Right. You screwed up. And uh, and then sure enough, like five days later, it starts chugging away and fermenting and fermenting. And then, I mean, this beer is uh, from brew to like package, like four months old, which in the grand scheme of Brett beers is kind of young. Sure. Um, and the key to success we found is over pitching. Yeah. So what you would normally think is like way too much yeast. Yeah just do that yeah <laughs> and then kind of kind of go from there cool uh, all right well let's open this up yeah, i'm excited to try let's it let's do it okay um right. let's give it a smell and then cheers and then see what we think word okay it, Ooh, straight funk yeah so and it's not overly like mosaic no so mosaic is the perfect top for bread fermentation because it's got it's already kind of got that pineapple dank uh, lack of better word cat pissy kind of vibe to it you know and then the bread just kind of accentuates comes in with all those esters and you know and then makes it all kind of pop and come together in this big tropical fruity kind of bomb 
Hell yeah. Okay. There's some bitterness. Yeah. So I that's like, like that. kind of where the pale ale yeah, comes into exactly. the, comes into play. So it's I mean, if you if you fermented this with you know, any regular old ale yeast, you would just be like, Oh, this is a really nice mosaic pale ale. Right, Sounds for great. Sure. And you throw the bread in there, like, whoa, this is like a crazy tropical, dry, like super fruity. Yes. It's not it's not overly anything, which I really like because then it's drinkable. Um, but yeah, like there's definitely that those like hop qualities to it, but it still like stays true to a Brett beer, I think. Yeah, it actually just won bronze at Best of Craft Beer Awards for yeah. Brett beer. So, what I think like the most interesting thing is this is that it's fermented in like spent whiskey barrels. Whoa, interesting! You can virtually get like none of those whiskey barrel characters out of this beer. I mean, if I don't, I don't think if anybody told you, you wouldn't be able to like, oh yeah, this is totally a whiskey barrel fermented. Right. No, I would have never picked that out. Um. What was the uh, idea behind that decision <laughs> to do a whiskey uh, barrel fermentation? Originally, we just had these whiskey barrels. <laughs> so like, oh, what are we going to do with these whiskey barrels? Uh, so we did, I mean, it was like we got them from Heaven Hill, did an Imperial Stout. Then we like, kind of went through the, the normal process yeah. of barrels. We did a barley wine and next, and then we did, uh, I can't remember what the third one was. Anyway, yeah. Uh, then we we came like well, okay. Well, we still have this oak, and it still like holds liquid and relatively neutral. What do we yeah, do with it? Right. And then just decided like let's throw this mosaic pail in there. Yeah. Also, like uh, just it seems like a good use of resources because um, oak isn't cheap. No, exactly. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And what's nice is like oak isn't cheap and. St- time in stainless steel is also not cheap right. and so like this beer takes four months to ferment out yep. which is short for brett fermentations but is not short for mosaic yeah, pale if you got a regular brew schedule like yeah you totally. gotta be <laughs> like if this was just a normal mosaic pale ale i would want this out of out of tank in three weeks you mm-hmm. know tops and so to be able to tie up a stainless steel tank for four months would be crazy so this beer has really incredible clarity too yeah, super clear, super right? clear. Like, yeah. it's all bottle conditioned, obviously with the same. It's with Lambicus, the same bread strain that mm-hmm. it primary ferments with. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I recently had a what was called a bread pale, um, and I really enjoyed it. It was really good. But what was interesting is you could definitely tell it was dry hopped. It was kind of like the first note that I picked up. So I'm like, okay, this kind of seems like. I don't know. They're calling it a pale, so I don't want to say it's a Saison. But to me, it tasted like a Saison that was dry hopped. Um, so maybe that's where the term pale came from. Um, but the body was actually kind of sour. I don't know what yeast was was all used besides bread, if anything else was used. Um, but and I did enjoy that. But I think that this is more of like a chew representation of like what I want from like a funky beer. Like yeah, a, totally. And like, I don't know. Brett shouldn't create acidity. Right. So that's why it's like... (laughs) Like, I mean, granted, some Brett strains will produce some lactic acid, and they will be a little bit more tart than like a regular ALU strain, but like you shouldn't have a sour... Right. And I actually think that's one of like a misconception that people have about Brett. I've just kind of like heard it around like in 
brewery tap rooms and stuff like hearing staff which is always like a bummer when you hear like someone give wrong information and you're like i'm just a, a customer i don't want to be like an you're asshole like tapping like, them on the shoulder like, like, uh. actually <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah not trying to do that but i've heard a lot of bartenders or servers say like oh yeah bread is sour yeah that's, that's a bread beer it's sour like, yeah oh well yeah i mean granted most sour "Quote unquote beers are like fermented with bread, also, but right, it's not really the bread that's it's doing exactly that, you know? like right. It's the bacteria, yeah, um, yeah. So keep that in mind next time you're talking about um, bread beer. It's not like uh, correlated with sourness yeah. necessarily. Yeah, they, they are not mutually exclusive, or right? Whatever. Yeah, this beer is like six percent too, so it's, it's perfect. Fairly, fairly light in the ABV range. Yeah, and it's like you, you definitely taste the oak. And it, like it is kind of earthy and like slightly tannic, which is another thing that I want from a barrel fermented beer. Um, yeah, this is really lovely. Like s- super fucking easy to drink, and like I think a good example of like y- Brett being used in a responsible way <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's not overly funky at all. It it is reminiscent of like Belgian use of wild yeast. Yeah, and I mean, this one actually is, uh, I was a little shocked that this one won that bronze medal because yeah. this one's been in the bottle since April, August, August of 2019. Um, obviously, it's a bread beer. It's got a little longer life yeah. than like just a regular ale, but um, it's definitely dried out quite a bit from when yeah. it was originally packaged, which is both a plus and a minus, I guess. You know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, like that's a whole nother topic too is like, once you put your beer in a bottle and if you are like adding more sugar yeast whatever to like keep fermentation going at that point it's like completely out of your control you're just like i hope i did this right because i think all of us have had those experiences when you open up a wild bottle and it's just a gusher and yeah, or it's just completely still you're like oh well yeah oh, that didn't work right <laughs> so it's like not only are you dealing with like this super tricky organism in the brewing process but then if you're bottle conditioning it's like you you just like hope we did it right and i imagine that the first couple times you try doing it it's like you don't fucking know like you can read and you can research and you can learn and shadow people but like yeah but experience is like the number one exactly number one yeah you just kind of have to do it right oh well it worked right oh that didn't work let's do it some other way right right and i mean like that's kind of the story of Uh, brewing with wild yeast in general like you talk to anyone who owns uh, a brewery that does like 100% spontaneous and mixed firm beers and they're like yeah like it's a lot of money down the drain up front because it's just like like yeah ideally like that does sound like fucking dope to like have a brewery that's like nah it's all spontaneous like we're doing it this way because they are some of the most interesting like beers delicious beers ever in my opinion but then you see kind of like your margins. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, um, well. <laughs> and like when it goes wrong, it goes terribly yes, wrong. Yes, right? Like, terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you dump a batch of IPA down the drain. You're like, oh, well, there's like $800. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah. And then you dump a batch of beer that's been sitting in barrels for a year and a half. And you're like, okay, well, there's $800 in beer and then another $600 in time in, in like that it's spent in the barrel and storage and all the rent that you had to pay Dude, to keep seriously. that beer yeah. there. And, it's, and then the bottle conditioning process and the bottles and like, it's just, 
It's it a adds lot. up fast. Right. And it's like beer's already a more complicated beverage in terms of fermentation because there's already more ingredients than wine or cider. These guys are yelling. <laughs> um, John, John gets a little loud sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you already ha- you're already working with a beverage that's like not easy to make and then to throw a literal wild card into it and be like, all right, well, we're going to do our best to manage this. Yeah. Um, how, like, so you're, like, relatively new to Standard, right? Because you were brewing at Matchless previous. Yeah, I was, I've was. i been at Standard for a year and four months Okay, now. so you've had some time to work in there. Handling a lot of the barrel stuff, mm-hmm. handling a lot of the, the, the funky things and all the auxiliary things that the head brewer at the time, like, couldn't kind of get to or right. couldn't get around to doing. And then within uh, in November, I took over the head brewer role yeah. or lead brewer role, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and so now it's just kind of all in my hands there, standard. Right. So you're, are you, you still have like some influence in the barrel program there? Yeah, totally, totally. It's just uh, me and one other guy, Justin, the owner, right. the owner of the brewery. So we were actually blending and fruiting a beer right before I got here. Oh, so. nice. Can you tell me yeah. what fruit you were working with? Raspberries, mm. Mm, sweet, sweet, delicious raspberries. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a again and a whole nother layer working with fruit, too, because it's like you think that you've got an idea of what fruit is in general, but every fruit <laughs> is so different. Yeah, and they all contribute different things in fermentation. Right. And so, like a raspberry tastes like a raspberry when you pop it in your mouth, but does a raspberry taste like a raspberry when Brett? eats it yeah. and then spits out whatever it spits out. <laughs> right. Uh, it doesn't really taste like a raspberry anymore. Right. Or like it does. Maybe it tastes even more like a raspberry. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some, you know, really interesting like berry wild saisons and whatnot. And like have been shocked at the results. Like, especially when you're using like whole fruit, you know, it's like when you're using puree and any sort of beer, it's like a more concentrated flavor. So it's like working with whole fruit is a different ball game. But like I've had, um, Aslan makes a strawberry um with a strawberry saison. dojo. Yeah. Oh, so good. And it's wild to me. The first time I had that, I was like, how does this smell so much like strawberries? Because it's like you think that throughout the fermentation process, that would kind of get destroyed a little bit. At least that's what I think would happen. I'm not a brewer. Um, so it gets like absorbed. Yeah. That like, uh, beer is so good. Right. It's like insanely effervescent and like aromatic. It's crazy. Um, yeah, so fruit. Strawberry, bubbly strawberry juice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy shit. Um, cool. Well, um, let's get into a little bit of your personal beer history. Um, oh Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how did you get from, you know, being a beer drinker to being a head brewer? Where was kind of like your beginnings in the beer industry? Yeah. I don't know. I kind of always attribute my, I was a, I was a, kitchen manager i was a chef if you will for a long time and so i've kind of always had an affinity for flavors and for like taking these six different ingredients and making it taste like this other ingredient Mm -hmm. and and so that kind of progressed and i worked at a helped i worked at a prominent beer bar in portland oregon for a long time uh, in the kitchen and then I started realizing how much money the bartenders made. <laughs> yeah, that's real. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ooh, I want to do that yeah. instead. Yeah. And so I told the owners, I'm like, I'm like I don't want to, I want to be a bartender now. And that kind of just blossomed the, my love of beer 
from my love of cooking. Right. Started home brewing, and then moved up to Seattle, and then helped open the Tornado here in Seattle. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. What? I was the opening manager for the Tornado here in Seattle. No shit. So I worked there for two and a half years, give or take, a little bit of time, and then kind of realized like I really just want to brew beer. Uh, it was fun. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love pouring beer. I still love pouring beer and talking to people about it and like educating people about like what is in your glass that's in front of you is still super, super important to me. And then got an opportunity to branch out of bar managing and started working for Worthy Brewing. Uh, I was the Washington State sales manager for Worthy Brewing for nine months before uh, Pat and Grant opened Matchless. And that's when I kind of like really got my foot in the door with brewing. And so I started at Matchless as like the sales director and then I would brew i like helped pat brew the first batch of beer there and we brewed a bunch of like weird stuff together and then that just kind of progressed and the opportunity at standard like obviously i live in seattle and yeah man that's a gnarly commute it's brutal (laughs) yeah matches is in tumwater so a little while so it's like an hour and a half drive uh daily for a daily commute that's gnarly it was a little bit much yeah. Granted, I didn't have to go there every day because I was still doing sales stuff. It was right. still, but it was it was a lot. It was yeah. A lot. Yeah. So, and the opportunity arose to have, uh, like the basically the same position, but here in Seattle, I, mm-hmm. I kind of just had to jump on it. So, that's no how I came to Standard, and then just through work ethic and proving, yeah, and, hell yeah, and just showing showing the owner that I know. What you're I doing? Guess, I guess I <laughs> yeah. um, Bringing him homebrews ad nauseum. And right. Like, hey, Hell yeah. Try these. Try these. Try these. And uh, that's a pretty good testament if you can like really fucking enjoy someone's homebrew. Like, not trying to like hate on homebrewers, but we've all had bad homebrew. Oh, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I've made a lot of bad homebrew. Right. Too. And, and yeah. again, that's how you learn. Um. So when you were at Matchless, do you feel like is that where you really got to kind of like? really experiment and kind of learn like i don't know everything that is fucking encompassing beer like it's kind of where you got to i it actually probably happened more at Toronado, so that's yeah? kind of when i like really i guess talking to people and interacting with them a lot about the 40 different taps we had like really kind of blossomed to do like like i want to know what i'm telling people yes so that's when i took the cicerone test nice and that whole process was like super eye-opening and really yeah. like educational. Right. Obviously, that's the whole point of the test, right? <laughs> it's education. So, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I that's what I actually have found really cool about Cicerone program is, and it does kind of open your eyes to like how many levels and different aspects of the beer industry exist because you have to know not only the brewing side, but you have to know the serving side as well. You need to know your draft system. Like that's something that a lot of like wine and cider world, they don't really deal with. Like, yeah, you can pour it off draft, but like beer in draft is like a whole different ball game. Oh, it's so complicated. If you have like a draft system that's 10 feet long, then you have a draft system that's 12 feet long. Like, oh, it's totally completely different. Like totally different. Right. And like, does this one go through any, does it get heated at all? Does it not? Is it cool? Right. Is it direct draw? Is it, you know, like, it's crazy. Yeah. And the intricacy there. It's like, as someone who's worked in, like, beer bars and uh, breweries, like, I'm aware of how complicated it was. But once I actually started, like, really studying it and starting to clean lines and stuff, I was like, 
oh my god that like, draft check manual is like what the hell yes <laughs> like, yes first time you read it you're like well i didn't know all this stuff right yeah it's it's wild and like, like oh so pr- like if it goes up one foot you have to change the pressure yes. like what, what why would i have to do that and they're like oh okay. yeah it's like applied pressure and elevation and like all sorts of shit um, and like uh, most people know that that brewing is a science, but there's like so much fucking science in every part of it, like physics, chemistry, biology. Yeah. Every like every single part of science you could think of. It's yes, crazy. it's crazy. Yeah. So and like even if you don't know you're involved with it, like the just a server at a beer yep. bar, like you are being you are a part of this. Like you are a part of this chemistry and this like this process, whole process. Yeah, and that's what's so cool too is like there's so many elements of like the process of the beer being brewed to being packaged to excuse me going to the consumer there's so many people involved in that process you know like from the farmers who are making your ingredients to like the scientists and like the labs you're getting your yeast from and then fucking brewing and packaging like packaging teams are like a huge part of the beer industry Um, distribution chains and like delivering like is the beer refrigerated the whole time? Yes. Is it not? And like, it's crazy. It just, it, it you get feels. You imports too. You're like, whoa, there's a whole new element to this. I, I can't even imagine crazy <laughs> trying to deal yeah. with that. Um, it just is like a lot more than any other beverage, I think, really, that exists. Like how much care and attention. And for a, a drink that seems or is so accessible to like the people, like the common man, it really is like one of the more complicated things we could be drinking. Uh, totally. And work, work like one week at Budweiser and your mind will be in blown. Yeah. Like blown. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that's like, that's part of the reason why I like it. Like it's not just fermentation. It's so, so much more than that. Um, yeah. There's a, a lot going into it. Um, so you, so with your homebrewing, because you still homebrew, do you? Yeah. I still do. How do you control <laughs> the using wild yeast like at home? That's but actually now that's all I do at home. It's like all spontaneous. Okay. So I have uh, I have a bunch of like old eight gallon whiskey barrels that I use for fermentation at home, and everything's done. I try to do like when I when I do home brew now, which is obviously a little bit less than before I was oh, brew before I was like a head brewer. Oh whatever, yeah. Right? So, <laughs> Uh, no when I do do it, it's like, it's all spontaneous. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I try to follow a regimented, like, uh, mash program. Okay. I, I did a lot of research um, with kind of how Cantillon does it mm. and how some of the other prominent um, spontaneous brewers like, do their, their whole process. And Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're the ones to learn from considering that they've been doing it for hundreds of years and is still making incredible product. (laughs) So yeah, incredible product. If you go, if you go there, it's like such the cross section of magic and like (laughs) science. It's like just this insane cross section. Yeah. Um, and you know, you go to the average brewery and it's like, everything's super clean and like, Oh my God, like you gotta, if you touch this fermenter, you better wipe your fingerprint off of it. And then, you go to Cantillon, they're like, whatever, man. Like, yeah. I'm like, I just sneezed on that barrel. Like, well, it's <laughs> cool. Like, Please. It's called terroir, dude. Like, all right, sweet. I appreciate it. Yeah, or like, you know, it's like in the cellar. It's, I haven't been to Belgium, but um, I've heard that there's like cobwebs and all sorts of shit. And it's like, no, you do not clean that. Like, totally. You I keep actually that. have a crazy picture of a dead mouse I saw on the ground. Like, Shut the dead fuck in. up. 
dead in beer. What? And they're just like, Meh. it's just chilling. <laughs> I'm like, that's a dead mouse, though. Like, <laughs> Regulations in Belgium are loose. So. Well, I was just about to say, it's a very American thing to have like very strict rules, especially related to health. Yeah, like s- inspectors all the time. Right, uh, yeah. The, the like in constant fear of the health department. Yeah. <laughs> all of those rules apply <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah. As far as like, yeah, for the home stuff, I mean, I just, I try to use everything that I can that I can do myself. So I grow, I have a, 30 square foot plot that I grow my own grain every year. No shit, I'll, dude. That's badass. Yeah, so I, last year I did last year I did my first one which was uh 100% wheat that I grew myself. I got rye growing right now that I will then next year do or this fall, I guess, coming up do a rye spontaneous beer. In, so all. you kiln it yourself? Uh, no, I use raw. So this is the the raw grain portion. Okay. So it's, I still, it's like 70% Pilsner malt and then 30% the raw wheat that I grew cool. or the raw rye that I grew in this this next year's particular. And then I use my estate-grown hops that I've aged for X amount of years. Do you know what... It's not just like wild backyard gr- hops. You Do you know what they are? Oh, yeah. These, <laughs> these, are, pla- these are planted. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have uh, Fuggles and... Nice. Uh, I, I call them Northgate Goldings because <laughs> I live in Northgate. <laughs> And then I don't live in East Kent, so uh, they're Northgate Goldings. Uh, and so I use those. I, I age them out for, you know, four years or so before I wow. start using them. So, Dude, I had no idea that your homebrew operation was, like, this extensive in terms of, like, your ingredients and stuff. That's great. It's insane. I have literally have, like, a 500-square-foot shed that I brew in. Nice. My wife thinks I'm insane, but <laughs> she drinks all the beer, so that's right, fine. Yes. You know? She's reaping some of the benefits. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, man, yeah, because that's a whole nother level. Because at that point, you're really breaking every part of the process down to you. Like, if you are growing your own grains and then growing your own hops and then making the wort, fermenting, packaging. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, try, I, I call it the Sorensen Estate. Yes, <laughs> it's like the yes. Sorensen Estate Brewery. I so love that. Do as much as I can myself. Man, I don't know anyone who has done something like that. But like, it's kind of dumb. I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really wouldn't recommend it to anybody. (laughs) No, that's awesome, dude. Um, Cool. Well, um, you finish your. I need to drink up, and then we can uh, transition a little bit into uh, traditional. Ooh, the best beer on the planet. It's actually been a while since I've had Orval, like maybe a year. We're coming up on Orval Day, too. That's right, yes. an international holiday. Yes. the greatest day. Hell yeah. I still have like 75, over, I've got 90% of this pilsner. So it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> it's rough. Shall not name names of the brewery, but mm-hmm. it was a rough, rough pilsner. Dude, it smells rubbery. Rubber and overhop. Yeah. Overhopped rubber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Delicious. Mm, so good. <laughs> it's mm. barely worth the calories I paid Dude, for. Honestly. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. What the fuck? All right. Moving on to some of the greats. Um, since we're kind of on the topic of bread and wild fermentation, we're like, why not talk about the OG, the OG? Or of all. Yes. The, like the only... Trappist beer that has Brett. Yeah. 100% Brett. Is it 100%? It is. Well, debatable. <laughs> they won't, they're Belgians. They don't really release their secrets. Because that's the way I mean, Belgians I wouldn't are. either. Shit. 
And let's pop the Zobin. Yeah. Oh, she's happy. It's lively. <laughs> it's very lively. It's just a, just a glass of foam. Yeah, I am not mad about it. It's such a magical. Also, also side note on homebrew, all of my homebrew gets bottled in old Orval bottles. So Hell yeah. Because they hold insane amounts of pressure, so I can overcarb if I want to. Nice. <laughs> not care about it. That's not something and the I labels, about. And the labels just like, yeah. they just... You look at them and they come off. It's perfect. <laughs> right? Like, how do they even make it overseas? <laughs> it's perfect. They're the, the hands down. If you do funky, Brett, any any kind of saisani, whatever, homebrew, like, mm-hmm. collect or And Orval Day is a great time to collect Orval bottles because you just go to your bar and you're like, hey, man, you know those six cases of Orval you're going to pour today? Can you save me the bottles, please? That'd be great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. Is there such things as doing like a vertical (laughs) Orval on Orval Day? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a friend who worked for Merchant Duvin who is the importer for Orval. Um, And he, last year we did a 21-year vertical (gasps) of Orval. What? And it was... I, I, we were wasted by no the end, doubt, <laughs> by the end of the it. Hell? I mean, obviously, there was like five of us, uh, but or yeah, Orval ages. There's like a there's a bell curve though. It like it ages really well, and then it like st- and then like right in the middle, like I don't know, seven to like twelve years old. It's like kind of bad. I mean, that's impressive to last that long. Yeah, the 21-year-old, I mean, it basically, it was kind of like drinking sherry. <laughs> yeah, at that point. But, like, I don't know, sherry's pretty good, though. Yeah, <laughs> so, right? Whatever. And after your friggin' 20 Orval's in, you're yeah, like, meh. Like, who, care, who cares at this point? <laughs> right? Tastes great. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, our Orval's are very happy, but it's producing a lovely fluffy head. Oh, and it'll just, like, crest an inch over the glass. Mm. Whoa, oh, Model God, T so just good. pulled up. Um, cheers. Cheers. Mm. So good. Oh my god, it's so good. So Every good. time. Fuck. Like, I'm like, why is this just not the I, I should just be drinking this only. <laughs> I'm a firm believer this is the best beer on the planet. Like Oh man. Pretty firm believer. Going to the monastery too is like a mind blowing experience. Oh I bet. It's insane. Oh. I'm like not a religious man. The only time I've ever been to a mass was at the Orval Monastery. He's like, I just want to go. Uh, I just want to go experience Your wife actually this. told me that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was incredible. Uh, it was insane. Oh, just my God. Monks chanting. You know, like yes. Dark candles everywhere. Ooh, yes. I love it. Also, we had been drinking Orval all day, so it was like yeah, extra right. special. And yeah. But. Oh, my God, dude. That's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, well, initially we wanted to stay there because you can like... You can stay there? You can stay there. So the, we were on our honeymoon. Uh-huh. I'll preface this. So the reason why we didn't do it. Because <laughs> uh, if you go there, like if you're in solitude and you are uh, you have to take a vow of silence. You do? Yeah, you're like, you're not allowed to speak. And that's like half the appeal for most people is you just like sure. you go and you live a, a day, a week, whatever you right. want in the life of a monk. Yeah. And like you help participate in the monkly duties, whether yeah. that's like mowing the yard right. or, you know, tilling the whatever. Yeah. Which would have been rad if we weren't on our honeymoon. Right, I'm like, exactly. well, I'm not going to like sleep in a different room from my wife. Who's got <laughs> that's married. wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little weird. So. <laughs> so we'll just go there instead. Yeah. That's fair. 
We just had a special delivery of some Floodland. It's always a good day when Floodland gets specially <laughs> delivered. Oh my god, dude! It straight up, it smells like Cab Franc. That what smells more fuck? like wine than beer. Yes. Like straight up. Shout out to Adam Pacey. Fucking genius. Captain of restraint. Mm. God, he does fuck. such a good job. I can't believe we're drinking Floodland and Orball mm. right now. This is just perfect. It's like spicy, peppery. It's heavy on the wine flavors. Like that, totally. That's crazy. It's kind of like, and I'm a big fan of wine. I drink a lot of natural wine, but my number one thing with it that I find is when I'm drinking it and I do get some funky flavors and some wild yeast, I'm just like, I just want a little bit more. Like beer yeah. always delivers more body and a little bit more complexity. Um, wine tends to have like more delicate flavors and aromas in my opinion. Um, but this is like the best of both worlds. This is like totally. what I want my wine to taste like, but it's totally. beer. I think the, <laughs> the CO2 probably helps a little bit with like making that, You're making that right. those, those aromas pop. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, it's so good. This is better it than It is a little peppery. Yeah, it's super peppery. I mean, I think that's kind of a a descriptor you could use for Cap Franc too, though. Like kind sure. of peppery and meaty and yeah, like yeah. Meaty, kind of yeah. juicy berry kind of flavors. Dry and prickly and... This is like what a Cab Franc pet not wants to be, but can't yeah, because totally. this has beer. Because it can't have malt, <laughs> yeah. which it should have. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, I almost feel bad for the Orval now. I'm, like, right? I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Orval. We were talking about you. What technically, like, what is or It says Trappist Ale, but like what type of beer is it? Uh, it's basically a Brett Pale Ale. I mean, it's... Essentially, yeah. what it is, if you drink it like stupid fresh, yeah, it's got like, it's got like a very pale ale vibe to it. Interesting. Uh, it's Trappist strictly because the monks who brew it are of the Trappist order, you know. Right. But that's kind of what makes it unique because they're the only Trappist brewery that brews one beer. Like they brew yes. one beer. Well, they brew two beers, but one beer really. There's that petite orval, oh. which you can get only at the cafe at the monastery. Oh shit! Which is much cleaner. I don't even know if it actually has Brett in it. It like basically just kind of tastes like a old school pale ale. Sure. You know, it's kind of yeah. malty and a little bit hoppy. Yeah. Um. It's just funny. This like sitting down and drinking orval right now. I've never actually thought about like what quote unquote style of beer it is it's just always been orval in my head that's just or it's like <laughs> it's it, is it what is. it is right it's like it's, it's, it's own category it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing i think this is the year i finally get the orval tattoo also oh, on orval shit. Day. okay every year we joke about it but i think this year it's happening. what would you actually do though like what would the tattoo be it's straight up the, the just fish the l- Bam, the but fish like just logo. the fish or would you have like the whole like would no you? just the fish yeah. with the ring yeah. and like the diamond yes Classy, simple. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm not gonna like fully brand myself with Orval because <laughs> that's I don't know. I, like I it's implied. Yeah, it, and if you know, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also that just makes me think of how many Rainier R's tattoos I have oh, seen. God, so many. So many in yeah, the city. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's intense. <laughs> I don't know. I'm torn between drinking the Floodland and mm-hmm. the Orval. I don't even know what to do. I'm not drinking this Pilsner. And I'm done with it. I can't. It's just. This is kind of a young bottle of Orval, too. Does it, what's the date? Bottled on uh, April 25th, oh. 2019. Okay. I think. Kind yeah. of fairly young for... Sure. 
and also kind of something to think about if you're um listeners if you are trying to go out and drink some orval like where you acquire your beer from i think that a lot of educated beer drinkers do tend to look at dates it's a little different with imports and you know Based on harder the style. to interpret sometimes. D- totally, that's like a, its own language. Uh, it's like trying to read a wine label yeah. when you're just like, I have no idea what's the producer or like what is the actual wine type. Like, I know it says Cab Sauv, <laughs> so I'll get it. <laughs> I, guess I guess this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something to think about in terms of when you're, especially buying imported beer, like seeing how old it actually is, because. Especially for some cities that aren't that don't have like a ton of like crazy beer nerds, like some stores might carry this beer, but it's been sitting on the shelf for a long time. And like you said, it can last. Yeah, some, sometimes that's a good thing. Right. You know? I'll go into like some store in like you know middle of nowhere, Washington, and be like, oh, they have like a 2017 Orval on the shelf. They don't even know about it. <laughs> it's still just six yes. bucks. You're like, sure, yes. sweet, thanks. Dude, that's the other thing too is like some of these like world-class best beers in the world are affordable. Yeah. Crazy affordable. It's like the kind of the opposite of the wine industry. Like there's no way you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars unless you're on the secondary beer market buying bullshit hazies or whatever. Um, Which is fucking wild. (laughs) Um, Mind mind blowing. Yes. Um, Mind blowing. But uh, like it is crazy that this bottle of Orval, like some of the best beer in the world is $6. Six bucks. That is cheaper than most pints you can get at a tap room. Six bucks. Sure, it's more expensive than like Budweiser, but but it's like significantly better than Budweiser. Exponentially, so, yeah. yes. Like you're like, oh cool, man. Oh, I see uh, Dre Fontaine Oud Goose on the shelf for twelve ninety nine. Like, yes. yeah, I'll buy that all day long. Yes. All day long. Or like it'll be like a seven fifty, like a decent amount of beer, and you're like, yeah, I'm not mad about spending that money at yeah, all. Yeah, it's totally fine. Especially when I'll spend like twenty bucks on a bottle of wine, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the the like juxtaposition between people who will spend money on wine and not beer is like mind blowing to me. Right. Yeah. You have no problem spending $13 on that bottle of, like, garbage wine. Mm-hmm. Fucking garbage mm-hmm. wine. But I show you a $13, $7.50 of, like, yeah. insane, took two years to produce yes. beer, like, you know, from whatever brewery. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to spend that money. That's crazy. Yeah. Why not? That Yeah, that separation, that, like, mentality separation is pretty fascinating. Because I'm like, I'm not quite sure... Is it because people just expect beer to be cheaper? Like, I'm not sure where exactly. And maybe that's just the stereotype of beer. I don't know. That's it is strange. Where's the disconnect? Exactly. And it might just be people who aren't beer drinkers are just fascinated because they're used to like beer being cheap, like adjunct lagers, you know, Um, which is fair. If you're not into beer like that, I understand why your mentality goes that way. Sure. I mean, uh, like if you're not into wine, you're like, oh, Franzia. Sure. <laughs> right. Rad. Exactly. No, it's not the same thing. No. Hell no. But I don't know. I think beer is just, it's just so different. And anybody who tries to compare the two, it's just like there's no, there's no real comparison. There right? isn't. There's just not real comparison. Yeah. But if you're willing to pay for quality, you should be willing to pay for quality across the board. Yes. Not just quality in one aspect of your drinking life. Right. Exactly. That's the thing. This is not a podcast about Floodland, but they do do like spontaneous stuff. So I guess it can kind of fit in. But um, I'd say, yeah, most of his beers are in the wild fermentation category. Yeah. Um, His beers will fucking transform. Like, of course, when you whenever you leave a beer out for a few minutes and let it warm up, it changes. But like his like change crazy. Uses second use fruit. 
a lot. Yeah. Which I appreciate, like, from a sustainability standpoint Absolutely. and from, like, a financial standpoint <laughs> and just, like, a smart business practice standpoint. Yeah. You spend $600 on a thousand pounds of raspberries or whatever like Fruit sure is make not two beers make two beers out of it yeah those raspberries aren't dead or these Cap Franc grapes aren't dead just because you made one beer out of them yep like make another one make right. why not right and that beer will become like even more subtle even more nuanced even more like yes like even the wine is very interesting and each varietal of grape gives a different profile and there's like a lot of nuanced flavors that you kind of like discover and you kind of dig into but it's just like beer is on such a fucking different level because of the amount of variety you can get and it's still classified as beer you know like because there's so many different grains that you can work with because you can work with fruit you can work with different hops like there's so much fucking going on that I truly believe that there's something for everyone yeah I mean because you can put 49% Cab Franc grapes as your fermentables in a beer, yeah, you can't put forty nine percent barley, uh, you know, grain as your fermentable in wine. Then it just right. immediately elevates. I don't elevates isn't the right word, but like immediately like takes beer into a whole other classification. Yes, it's like a whole different element. Right, and sure with wine, like every single vintner grows or like. Sure, you're a state winery. You grow your own grapes, and then you like do your own fermentation. And then you select your own barrels. But if you're a brewer, like you select your own grain and you select your own hops, then you select your own water profile, and then you select how long yes. you want to boil it for, and then you select how long you want to ferment it for, and what yeast strain you want to ferment it for, and then like then you select which barrel you want to pick and who produced it and what like it's just everything's just exponential with yeah beer. it's just crazy right and like there is almost like an endless amount of possibilities and avenues that you can go down in terms of brewing a specific beer totally and I like mean, yes in wine every vintage is going to be different right depending on the year and the soil and the rain and all that but that's kind of like nature doing its thing that's like nature dictating what's going to happen versus beer it's kind of like well we as the producers get to decide what's happening yeah and then we also get we also get nature right like i can choose to get my pilsner malt from skagit valley malting exactly or i can get it from mecca grade malting or i can get it from wireman in germany or i can get it from patagonia in chile or i can get you know like it's like where do i want my pilsner malt to come from or what flavor of soil or yeah or exactly growing region or how much sun did this barley get yes. and that varies from year to year from right. crop to crop and sometimes you know like chile will have multiple different crop seasons or growing seasons in a single year because they're at the right longitude and latitude for it you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so like they're all so so different so so different and like every like hops you know sure it's mosaic hops but these are mosaic hops from lot six Row fifty two, <laughs> dude. Yeah, that's or a these whole are mosaic other thing. hops from lot eight, rows ninety three. Like, oh, yeah. these are completely different hops. Wh- crazy. Yeah, again, totally wild. And like, if you haven't had the experience of going out to do hop selection, or like, it's like almost it's almost political in terms of like how who gets what part of each lot and all that. It's like a, a world that people completely are not even aware of. And I think that there is an argument about terroir and beer in terms of like 
I don't know. I've heard people say that that doesn't really exist with beer, but I think it, that's totally false because just like you said, like you are choosing where your ingredients come from and how each year has affected that climate specifically. Like you, you truly do get different flavors. And I think people are just so used to that, like idea, like the homogenization of like what Bud Budweiser is, you know? So they think that beer is always the same thing, but that's like comparing like McDonald's to fucking June baby. Like, like you know, worlds apart. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. Like, also with Budweiser, you know how they get consistency? They blend and they like they yeah. brew five different batches from five different kinds of for five different like grains and five different hops, and then they blend it together to make a consistent product. Because even they recognize like every single tank is different, every right. single fermentation is different. Yeah, and the whole point for them is to be consistent. Because if they're not consistent, that's a fuck up on their part. Right. Yeah. Because the Budweiser drinkers like, wait, this doesn't taste like Budweiser. Yeah. And, and that's so, why I think that they have been able to, you know, post-war, like, shoot up, be the most popular beer that exists in the U.S. is because of that consistency factor, which, from a business standpoint, makes sense. From oh, people, baller. Yeah. It's fucking baller. <laughs> from people who really want to enjoy beer for its characteristics, it's not, because that is completely erasing everything that's dope about beer. So, it, yeah, it totally has its place, but it's just kind of a shame that it's what dominates a lot of people's idea of what beer is. Yeah, because it's not, that's not beer. Right. Just like, like, just like McDonald's is not food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like not food. And it's also crazy to think like, this is what beer is to people in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, you know, like if you live in that region of Belgium, this is your Budweiser. And that's where the, I don't know, that's where the homogeny probably gets its birth, right? Like, I mean, you want to make something that everybody will like in this land that's fucking huge right <laughs> it, like how do you even accommodate all the different people that yeah, exist like, well, here we'll make it consistent and then everybody knows what it is cool awesome this is beer now yeah. like oh okay well this is beer now like no that's not the case man like and I think we're just now like starting to crest that in America we're starting to get like we have close to 8,000 breweries now you know and so like we're starting to get back to the way it used to be where I live in Georgetown, Seattle, and now I have, f- these are the four breweries that are in Georgetown, Seattle, and these this is what I know of as beer now, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, that was not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, that's, a, that's another part about why we love craft beer so much, is like that sense of community that's attached to it. It feels, it's fucking awesome to live, and like, I think we are so lucky to live in a place like Seattle, where we get to have these experiences, but like, to be in your neighborhood, like... This is my local brewery in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, like, how fucking th- cool is that? What I think is super rad is that, like, now, 2020 America is, like, we're not even really that special in Seattle anymore. You know, like, you can yes. go to fucking wherever Iowa and be like, well, now I have my own brewery in Decorah, Iowa. Or, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. bumfuck Indiana. Like, right. Like, oh, man, right. this is cool. Like, we have our own brewery here now. Because there's, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of a greater movement than just beer yeah but I, agree. I think the catalyst is there yeah and yeah. we're drinking the catalyst like right, right. now with a revolve you know like this is yeah this is what it is yeah and i you know there's definitely talk about like the bubble bursting like craft beer has been like on the rise for a long time and it's kind of like there's always a fall at some point but i think like you're saying it kind of is bigger than just craft beer itself 
it's like this will always succeed because of what it provides for our communities like yes if we can provide a place that's like comfortable and fun and has a great product that people in your community are going to go to regularly like i don't see that failing yeah to, and i don't i don't think of it as like a bubble as more of a balloon right and like mm. everybody keeps blowing up this balloon and you're like you think it's just going to be just a regular oval shaped balloon that just pops up but maybe maybe somebody turns it into a little giraffe or a little <laughs> dinosaur and you're like whoa that's a totally different balloon but it's still a balloon that's cool. I like and that. And so, like, I'm sure craft beer is going to change and evolve, but I don't know about bursting. It's just, like, it's going to change, and we're going to get more localized and more centralized. And, yeah, every little town deserves its own brewery, and Agreed. every little town deserves its own bakery, and every little town yes. deserves its own chocolatier, because, you know what, we should have that. And, you know, fuck Hershey's and <laughs> yes. fuck Budweiser yeah. and fuck McDonald's, because... Yeah. We can do it ourselves, and we can do it better, and we can do it for ourselves and for everybody. Dude, that's what it's all about. You know, absolutely. Fucking cheers to absolutely. that. Absolutely. 